If you want to see the girl next door, go next door. Joan Crawford Chapter 15 By the time July came around, the pressing questions of the month of May no longer worried me in quite the way they had. They should have, but to my shame and regret, they didn't. In retrospect, the most charitable thing one could say about me was that I didn't dwell on events I thought were beyond my control. Midsummer brought a development deal under the auspices of Bob Brown at Studio Name Redacted. Darla gave me an introduction to a divorced TV actor, and I began a brief romance with the luminary of the little screen. It all started with a companionable hike up Priman Canyon, which conveniently meandered over to his home. Our subsequent meetings took place exclusively at his house on Mulholland, a comfortable sprawl with views of the city. A complete need for discretion and privacy was foremost in both our thoughts, as we both lived very busy, very public lives. And of course, I was trying to distract myself from feeling like I was on the rebound from a relationship that never existed, not to mention that I was only about seven months a widow. At first, I was relaxed and happy in familiar territory. The Luminary's kids were at camp in Connecticut, and between us, it was a month of fun and frolics until the beginning of August, when he started to get serious, and I bolted. As I remember, I never gave him his due. He was just so pleasant to look at. I never had any intention of meeting his children or a lasting partnership, and he obviously did. Mine was a lapse of a kind excusable in a teenager, but never in a 31-year-old woman. The whole thing reminded me of a vice versa rendition of my affair with Dave. At the last minute, I totally wimped out and in a fit of regression called on my friends to help me collect my things and a Jeep Cherokee I had recently bought and parked on his property. I was foundering in embarrassment. I can't see him, please. How do I get my car? I used him. I used him for sex. Natalie suggested, well, if you can't see him, why don't you just leave your Jeep there and about the sex? I'm sure he didn't mind. Natalie, please, I can't leave my car there. We gals were not far from Mulholland at Natalie's cottage in Laurel Canyon that Saturday night. It was a small, comfortable house full of paintings and flowers and vintage furniture, exactly how Natalie liked it. I think you should, said Darla. A penance for your sins and how, exactly, do you think it would look if I arrived on his doorstep demanding your feckin' toothbrush? The man works for me. Not gonna happen, you tart. Not gonna happen. Darla scowled, but her neural network was in overdrive, and then she said, You could send a couple of your assistants over, your dear little minions. I responded, It'll be all over the lot before they left the studio. Nobody talks more than the PAs. Polly asked, Why did you buy a new car and park it at his house? I felt hot, and I knew my face was flushed, and the words I meant to enunciate clearly were coming out in a tumble. Well, it's hilly up there, and I, he was talking about getting a new car, or something with a better suspension. Like you know what that is, Polly retorted. A better suspension to drive his girls down to school in Studio City. 
Are you sure he said suspension? Maybe he said something about a car that hugged the road but was roomy enough to use for carpools. And he wouldn't drive them anyway. Why are you grilling me? I hissed. Because, historically, jeeps have a very stiff suspension. They ride like a martini shaker, Polly insisted. I was only trying to, I I was only trying to be helpful. You were only trying to make sure he liked you, said Polly acidly. Well, you really set the hook this time. Jane was aghast. Booty call, you did. You used him and played him, and you tried to buy him off with a shiny new toy, a really expensive toy. We are not caravanning over there to pick up your shit. You're as bad as they are. There's nothing wrong with a booty call, said Polly. And who are they? She asked, sliding a little nearer to me on the couch to signal her support. It was funny, a very funny thing, Polly's championing. It was based in love and coated with tarticides, as long as they issued from her own lips criticism from anyone else, she immediately shut down. Darla took a quick temperature of the room. Did Jane just say shit? God help us. I'm the brawler. She laid her hand over her heart. Come on now, let's remember the gentle ways our mothers taught us and accept Billy's fine, upstanding motives. Right, lads? There was an uncomfortable silence. Natalie stuffed a down cushion behind her back and frowned. Okay, Darla is right. Chill, ladies, chill. She thought for a moment. My little sister's out here with her roommate from college. He doesn't know her. She doesn't know him. I'll tell her not to say anything to Dad. We'll get them to drive over and pick up your car. It's rude and immature, but there you have it. I bobbed my head in submissive acknowledgement of the plan. Deep down, I felt nothing but relief. And thus... Anne Brown and her roommate, Tatiana Schneider, were dispatched to a TV star's mountaintop domicile. They felt charged with responsibility and a certain kind of contempt for their elders' unmanageable peccadillos. God, how gross, was a phrase they bandied about between them. The star's property was gated. Anne drove her tiny blue Civic up winding endless Mulholland to the gate and keyed the intercom as I had instructed her. It was two in the afternoon. The hot sun was dappled and filtered through a canopy of trees. A dozy male voice responded to the call. Yeah, give me a minute. It was more like 10. The girls were out of the car and staring through the gate, down a ravine at a one-story house surrounded by huge, dusty California oaks, when a tall, handsome man sauntered out of the house barefoot and wearing a not-too-well-secured white terry cloth robe. Anne and Tatiana unconsciously drew together. The star beamed at them via a wide white smile and sparkling eyes and drew his hand through his pillow-sculpted hair and drawled, Hey there, girls. He strode up to the gate and said, Come on in. As he stepped back and the gate rolled open, His robe gapped even more, revealing his well-muscled chest, and as Anne's eyes dropped, she noticed the star wasn't wearing any underwear. He was in that elevated state some men achieve on waking, 
He was nearly naked and didn't seem to care. Actually, he seemed to be enjoying, really enjoying, the sun on his bare skin. Tatiana was leaning precipitously forward when Anne thrust out her car keys to block her and said, Tatiana's taking my car and we can't come in. I have to take Mrs. Taylor's car now. Well, sure you do. The star's voice vibrated through their skin and straight to their cores like the purr of a very self-satisfied cat. But I gotta go get the keys, so you might as well come in. What's your hurry? He tightened the sash around his waist, and then he turned his back on them and walked toward the house. Tatiana was looking at his shoulders and his tight-ass retreat when he turned in afterthought and inquired, You girls want a party? It was a line that had worked for him before. Tatiana appeared mesmerized. Anne was in a panic. Her sister had told her about people like this, hedonists. She squeaked loudly enough to hear clear across the canyon. Thank you, no. A flock of birds took off into the sky. We'll wait for you to bring the keys here. He shrugged and disappeared into the house. But Anne... Tatiana shrilled. He's gorgeous. He's gross. Anne dug in her heels. We are not going inside. Didn't you see his penis? I was looking at his eyes. Wow, he has those dreamy eyes. <laughs> what he has is a woody. He's some weird kind of exhibitionist. He's got his own show. That's what I said. He's gross. So, even though she was the smaller by far of the two co-eds, Anne and her outsized will prevailed. She drove away from the Mulholland address as quickly as she could, scooted forward on the driver's seat so her feet could reach the pedals, and as she came around a hairpin turn, she pulled over and adjusted the seat up and forward, and then she sped to our house. The car smelled brand new and chemically coated. She wanted to get rid of it and go back to her father's and jump in the pool. She was sweating. She cranked up the air conditioner. I gave my Sunday car couriers pecks on the cheek on arrival and big glasses of iced tea and quizzed them about the pickup. Did he seem depressed to you? He seemed okay, Tatiana said. I think we woke him up, added Anne. Oh, well, sleeping in the middle of the day is a sign of depression, I commented. Oh, he seemed pretty good, Anne said. He was nice. Tatiana crunched on an ice cube and savored the cool, melting lozenges sliding down her throat. I'm glad. Thank you, girls. To me, Anne seemed like a skinny adolescent, which officially she was, but Tatiana was a fully blossomed woman, at least physically. Further, while it was the first time I had seen Tatiana, she definitely seemed off somewhere in her own world. Anne, on the other hand, seemed to be holding me under close scrutiny. She was an intense thing, not the happy-go-lucky, gravity-defying child from the park. It's funny how people change, I thought. Mr. Booker had told me Anne was a studious girl, and now I was being studied. When Anne and Tatiana arrived back at Bob Brown's up the street on Crescent Drive, they were all a cackle, discussing who said what and what they were wearing or not wearing. Tatiana was no longer spellbound. 
men and women, especially men, were so interesting, especially at a safe distance. Maybe men didn't tend to their networks, but they certainly knew that when something itched, the immediate thing to do was scratch. They talked about the TV star's member. Was it supposed to impress them? Entice them? And they dissolved into laughter. It was early evening, and Anne assumed her father would still be at work, but he was home and at the desk in his library with his ears ringing with girlish chit-chat. So much for not saying anything to her father about the afternoon errand. Bob Brown made his presence known with a broad cough. Anne envisioned Natalie and her what-did-I-tell-you glare. Under normal circumstances, Bob Brown didn't get involved or particularly pay any attention to the personal lives of his workers or neighbors. To him, it seemed way beside the point. Gossip eluded him. It just didn't register. However, he always held people accountable for their actions, and this jackass had exposed himself to his teenage daughter. Exposed himself. It was a good thing Anne was her own little person. He liked that she didn't seem gullible or easily distracted or even very interested in boys. Yet. He really was amazingly lucky. Anne wasn't nearly the hassle Natalie was to raise. She really didn't sass. She never hollered that she hated him. But then, most of her growing up had taken place 3,000 miles away. He held me blameless. Though he filed away the name of the TV star in the most reptilian part of his brain and let it rest for the time being. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.